What's Up Witches did change to Sex and Spirituality, if you didn't realize by the title. Um, So we're just trying a few things out in this new spring season, doing a little bit of spring cleaning. So I'm going to see how Sex and Spirituality does. Uh, Let me know if y'all like the change. We're still going to be talking about all things metaphysical and spirituality, obviously by the name, as well as all things sexual health and dating and relationships and mental health and everything woo-woo and new age because we love that here. We are self-proclaimed hippies and we are fucking proud. So let me know what y'all think. Let me know if you like it. And also I'm doing a more interactive theme where I'm asking my listeners what you would like to hear about during the week. So be sure to follow me on Instagram at sex and spirituality podcast. I will link it in the show notes below so that you can vote on what topics you'd like to hear in the coming weeks for the next few shows. Be sure to like, rate, subscribe, Leave me a comment, send me your feedback. I'd love to hear from you. So let's start by just defining codependency. What exactly is it? It's a pretty hyped up term that is used nowadays that you hear a lot. So codependency is a word used to describe a relationship in which By being caring, highly functional, and helpful, one person is said to support, perpetuate, or enable a loved one's irresponsible or quote-unquote destructive behavior. For example, um, helping an inebriated spouse navigate an embarrassing situation or by providing living quarters for a substance using um, child or adult, adult child is said to be counterproductive or a way of forestalling recovery and actually perpetuates the issue. So according to this way of thinking, creating emotional distance from the said troubled loved one is necessary and beneficial to that person. It's a way to expose them to the negative consequences of their behavior. In being reliable, caring, and nurturing, the codependent partner is perceived to be exhibiting any number of weaknesses of his or her own, such as low self-esteem or an excessive need to please others, especially poor interpersonal boundaries that make the person feel responsible for the other person's problems. So we're going to be discussing all of this today, low self-esteem, people-pleasing, and boundaries. The concept is quite controversial and emerged in the substance abuse community in the late 1900s and was originally applied to taking um, caretaking patterns seen among partners of alcoholics, but it's since been applied not only to addictions, but well beyond um, in general from all other kinds of mental health and behavioral problems such as domestic violence and emotional abuse, which I can attest to personally, from my own experience. And the term is also often used um, to describe close relationships without carrying any strict psychological meaning. So the controversy really over codependency is that there's no scientific research supporting the concept. Despite the efforts of some to have it designated as a personality disorder, it's never been accepted to be included in the DSM. Um, which is a manual of mental disorders. And many health, um, mental health and relationship experts believe the term is inherently flawed and reject its use for many reasons. But primarily, codependency pathologizes and stigmatizes healthy human behavior, particularly loving and caring. But there's also abundant, significant signs that human beings are wired to form enduring emotional bonds. And those bonds are not automatically um, like 
are brigaded by the onset of problematic behavior. In fact, the need for connection and the desire to maintain connection is so basic, um, as deeply rooted as the need for food and water, that isolation has been repeatedly shown to be destructive to both physical and mental health. Uh, so just playing devil advocates here, kind of seeing both sides, it's natural that the suffering of, love of a loved one or missteps stir empathy and compassion and the desire to help, even to the point of putting others' needs ahead of our own. Um, and what's more, codependency does not recognize the responsibilities individuals have for their own behavior for seeking change. So it's great to have compassion. All in all, it's great to be kind and compassionate. But I believe, um, kind of jumping the gun, flipping coins here, that to the detriment of yourself, to where you're enabling an abusive or toxic person's unhealthy behavior, to the point where setting boundaries becomes extremely hard and you're suffering um, and it causes distress and anxiety, we should never self-sacrifice. And I think that, you know, being nice and being a giving, generous person is obviously a huge plus. I mean, there's not enough people in the world like that these days, but to the own de detriment of our own mental health, where we feel like we're martyrs is definitely not helpful. And I would highly um, discourage that. Just like the term toxic uh, is very, I don't want to say overused, but thrown around very easily these days. I think that so is codependency. But as I stated in my previous point, that there's a difference between being a loving person and um, supporting dysfunction, dysfunctional patterns, dysfunctional behaviors. So it all stems from attachment. Attachment to a child is innate to human beings. Um, to aid our survival, we are wired to love and protect our children, even though I don't have children. Um, but if we are basically secure otherwise, we will still have a strong reaction when our children are threatened and similar reactions occur when we lose a significant relationship. And this is normal, not codependent. However, some adults who did not feel safe or attached to their parents as children, such as myself, may have an ongoing struggle with insecurity in their relationships. And this is really all where it's centered around insecurity in relationship. Uh, they often feel unwanted or uncertain of their attachment to others, worried about possible rejection or afraid they will lose someone they love. And when we find ourselves with a partner who is abandoning or inconsistent for whatever reason, perhaps they're dismissive, avoidant, uh, we tend to respond and behave in a fearful way. A lot of codependents are anxiously attached. I myself am fearfully avoidant. So we can become hypervigilant or dwelling on the problems of the people we love or angry, isolated, jealous, possessive, or obsessive even with trying to change or help. Uh, our partner, our children, or family member. And in the process, we begin to lose our way, finding ourselves hurt and alone, also known as codependency. So this term became commonplace and evolved into a character of a passive victim or a compulsive caretaker, controller, or enabler, often blamed for causing the problem. Um, there was a term I once heard called pathologically accommodating, which maybe I'll touch on a little bit more in this episode, because codependency is often misunderstood. Many professionals are seeking a new way to describe this pattern of loss and loss of the self and difficulty with regulating emotions. 
one that does not have stigma or or cause shame. And this is the precise reason why I decided to go into dialectical behavior therapy, because it has a lot to do with regulating emotions. So any of my listeners that are struggling with um, being in a relationship with someone perhaps has a personality disorder, cluster B (laughs) uh, particularly, you might want to look into dialectical behavior therapy. But just know that codependency is not permanent and not all people with a diagnosis, as I said, who would self-diagnose or label themselves as this, are the same. Those who have had a stable home life and secure attachment as children will often navigate a problematic, I can't talk today, I'm sorry, it's, it's Monday, guys, bear with me, will help to navigate a problematic relationship better than those who feel insecure and unlovable for most of our lives. So some adults feel insecure in all of our relationships, such as me. Um, Some feel occasionally insecure when they are with an inconsistent or unreliable lover or friend. On the other hand, when we are secure, we believe that we deserve to be treated with kindness and consideration and compassion. But when things are not going well, secure people don't get as anxious or agitated or angry and obsessed when they experience a moment of separation or rejection. Insecure people, like your girl, we do. Anxiety is a normal emotional response, and it's important to acknowledge it when it arises. Uh, Hoping that our loved ones will change their feelings and choices to help us feel better is an insecure approach, on the other hand. So how do we become secure? (laughs) Uh, This is the million-dollar question. It takes a while to learn to manage our instinctive reactions to the activities of the people we love. When we feel more secure, we will be able to calm ourselves without the use of compulsive behaviors, self-harm substances. And then when we're able to approach our loved one from a place of security, we can make better choices. So in most situations, um, others do not have to change for us to feel secure. Seeking counseling, I would strongly suggest encourage to make that process easier and faster. So it is normal and natural, not codependent to seek the comfort of those we love when we hurt and feel anxious. Um, But, you know, when we feel separated and abandoned, whether from addiction, mental illness, or chronic stress, fear changes our behavior in a way that is intended to protect and preserve our attachment to those we love. And when a person or a family is dealing with an ongoing problem of any kind, anxiety will increase and we start to live in survival mode. Over time, we can develop patterns that are an attempt to decrease anxiety and increase attachment, but they may be ineffective and make the situation a lot worse. So I kind of just wanted to provide that background uh, history information on the general consensus of what codependency is some controversies and different perspectives and points of view. So now we're going to get into talking a little bit about people-pleasing, setting boundaries, pathological accommodation, and fearful avoidance attachment styles, and how this all kind of coexists, how they interrelate, because I believe they all impact one another. All right, so I just want to start this next segment by saying that I struggle. I identify as a recovering codependent, so I'm not just shelling out this information um, with no personal attachment to it. I have learned that insecure attachment really predispositions us to 
uh, emotionally abusive or unhealthy relationships. Um, it's like this dance of the, the codependent and boundaries. And specifically, a lot of codependents will gravitate, unfortunately, towards narcissists. And narcissists are definitely codependent too. So just know that this all kind of stems from attachment, early attachment, and it's really hard to develop healthy boundaries as a codependent or someone that has experienced abuse. And I have a very hard time saying no. Uh, Historically, I've been a pathological accommodator. And, you know, the characteristics of codependency, uh, codependent people experience emotional abuse in relationships because they're not able to form firm boundaries and thus allow others to step in their boundaries and get manipulated by others. They often are not assertive enough to express their feelings due to the fear of rejection and disapproval. They also expect others to read their minds and hope that things will change without effort because we're super like non-confrontational. I'm very conflict avoidant. However, We also tend to become angry when our barrel is full and we can no longer contain the scars of the toxicity that revolves us. It is because of having very loose boundaries and not knowing where boundaries stop and someone else's begin. Having loose boundaries means that a person has difficulty knowing where he or she ends and someone else begins. It's like this invisible mental border. We have an unclear sense of who we are and may experience difficulty in defining the difference between our feelings and someone else's feelings, our problem, and someone else's responsibility. Often codependent people take responsibility for others, and it is because boundaries surrounding us seem to be blurred. People with weak boundaries seem to absorb other people's feelings. Our boundaries define the individual self, also known as me. And our goal here is to identify and have respect for that line, which marks off you and me. So one thing that we need to know about boundaries is that no one is born or even taught these boundaries. They're they're developed by the household that we grow up in, by our parents. And unfortunately, many of us emerge into adulthoods with damaged, bruised, and non-existent boundaries. Some of us have no sense of boundaries. Others have very rigid boundaries. And some of us have holes in the boundaries. Poor or good boundaries depend on the kind of circumstances we grew up with. So for me, I know I have a helicopter mother and I was kind of a parentified child. So when boundaries are not able to model healthy, when parents are not able to model healthy boundaries uh, to their kids, when their rights are violated, when they're forced into inappropriate roles or, you know, forced into things with people around them, we tend to have poor boundaries, especially if children are emotionally neglected or abandoned, they may have non-existent boundaries. If parents fail to nurture them and do not set appropriate limits and discipline, we can also form weak boundaries or if the boundaries are too loose. So due to having this void, we have a difficulty forming a sense of self. So research shows that humiliation, shame, abuse uh, can cause great deal of damage to boundaries. Also inappropriate generational roles amongst family members and inappropriate roles between other families can damage boundary formation. So people who have been in the role of caretakers begin to believe other people's thoughts, feelings, and problems are their responsibility. Uh, Caretaking can also damage boundaries. 
controlling people also uh, tend to trespass other people's boundaries and the person who's being controlled will fail to have his or her rights, emotions, uh, privacy, etc. So it's been found that how we bond with others is determined by the nature of our bond with our primary caregivers. It could be our parents, um, relatives, grandparents. Our boundaries determine how we bond with others. So if we have gaps in our boundaries, we become vulnerable to invasion by others. And it is because we cannot set limits with the invaders and thus allow them to manipulate us. So if our boundaries are rigid, we won't let people get close to us. We can distance people from us when we have too many boundaries uh, and without boundaries, relationships will cause fear. So it's common uh, experience that people feel most comfortable around folks who have healthy boundaries. So try and aim for having healthy boundaries. I know this is easier said than done, but the goal in recovery is to have healthy boundaries, not too loose, not too rigid, balanced. It's also important to note that it's our responsibility to develop these boundaries. We cannot put it on any other person. As we develop these boundaries, we develop an appropriate sense of roles of others and ourselves. And then we are able to respect ourselves and others. We ideally don't allow others to trespass into our territory and stop controlling people. We take responsibility and start to know our rights. We start to feel that we deserve to be treated well. We learn to say no and set limits with others when they try to exploit us. So an example could be, um, I identify as a survivor of abuse and as a victim or survivor, however you identify, of sexual abuse, physical abuse, we learn to grow from our experience and we're able to understand the nature of invasion of our boundaries. And as soon as survivors begin to become cognizant of our pattern, we learn what not to do and become comfortable in setting appropriate boundaries. As long as you stay in an unhealthy or abusive relationship, however, a violent relationship, you will continue to be the victim. But as soon as you get out of it, we can only then start to develop our sense of self and start to take care of our needs. We begin to mend the shattered self and become healthier. So codependent people with loose and inadequate boundaries tend to develop too much tolerance for pain and insanity. And sometimes it's difficult for us to notice that someone's hurting us or, you know, they'll even hurt others or themselves. So it's important to build upon self-esteem in order to be able to set boundaries and as we develop this self-confidence, we are able to set firm limits with those who are abusing us. Once we learn to take care of our needs, engaging in self-nurturing activities, uh, making wise decisions and understanding the difference between need and want, we are able to set boundaries in a relationship. And moreover, it is also helpful to be aware of our likes and our dislikes in order to exercise our personal rights and value ourselves. So we need to exercise caution when setting boundaries. It should not be confused with building thick walls around ourselves. Uh, it's important to note that the purpose of setting boundaries in relationship is to gain enough security and sense of self to get closer to others without the threat of losing ourselves or being invaded or trespassed. So the key to loving relationships is having adequate boundaries and, of course, the ability to be spontaneous and creative and play. So first of all, when you try and set boundaries, do not do it when you are angry. You are more likely to use the lengthy arguments in the state of mind and attack 
the other person. So it's very helpful to use, you know, more specific uh, language when we communicate. So avoid rationalizing and please, for the love of God, stop apologizing. Oh, I'm so guilty of this. I, I say sorry way too much. So don't feel ashamed or afraid when you set your limits. And also learn to listen closely to yourself. Do not let the barrier of shame restrict you from taking care of yourself. If you feel victimized or suffocated or threatened, uh, you have to pay attention to what your body is telling you. You may need to get angry to set a boundary, but do not try to be um, resentful or stay resentful when you set boundaries. So sometimes others may not like uh, the new you, the setting boundaries you, because particularly if they're someone that is toxic, they will feel defeated uh, and may not be able to manipulate you, push your button. So please, please do it anyway. Things will eventually change as you stop attracting boundary bullies or boundary invaders. Uh, congruity is also another important prerequisite to setting boundaries. If your behavior does not match the boundary you're setting, it will not work. I cannot enforce this enough. Your behavior must be congruent with your boundaries. Um, sometimes you may want to specify consequences in, um, in order to enforce the boundaries, especially if this is with a very unhealthy, dysfunctional person. You need to have a type of readiness to set boundaries. So if you are not ready, you may be able to say, I'm not going to take this or this is unacceptable, but you will be not able to enforce it or follow through. So it's connected to your growth and insight. And as soon as you realize that there is a need for the boundary and you cannot tolerate uh, these other people's invasions anymore, you will be ready to enforce it. But you have to learn to identify what you like, what you don't like, what brings you pleasure. So you can start engaging in self-nurturing activities and do not feel guilty if you take care of your needs. Uh, this is ugh, really hitting home. So once you form a healthy boundary, you will notice you will be able to enjoy and experience life much more. You hopefully will not isolate yourself so that you can have fun in the company of family and friends. You will also ideally indulge in self-care and not waste time in worries about hurting people's feelings when you set a limit. Codependent people so, so often become depressed and fail to take care of their needs and thereby we like deprive ourselves from the pleasures of life. So, in this way, when we learn about these patterns of behavior, uh, we will see that boundaries contribute to our growth and our sense of self. As we take risks and learn about our true identities, our boundaries will emerge and bring us closer to our higher power. It's so good to have some balance in your life in order to be able to develop a healthy sense of self and understand how we want to be and deserve to be treated by others. Know it's okay to give um, to people but don't allow these people to trespass into our territory or rob you. Healthy boundaries make us strong and empower us to stand manipulation. In addition, they also empower us to determine how we'll be treated by others. Boundaries are great because they facilitate self-discipline and maturity and strength of character. They bring order into our lives. And above all, healthy boundaries help us have intimacy in our relationships. So I always tell my friends, you know, if I ask for something, if I say something that doesn't resonate with you, doesn't sit right with you, because I care about you, please tell me. I care about your boundary. I care about your triggers. And people that care about you and respect you and really love you will honor your boundaries. They'll admire you 
um, for setting these boundaries, for speaking your truth. Because I know if I did something to upset someone that I really love, I would want them to tell me so I could fix it because I care about them. So I always tell my friends, feel free to say no to me. I would much rather you say no and speak honestly to me than you agree to do something that isn't right for you and then feel resentful later. So this is why boundaries are so important. And I'm still working on this. I think I'll be working on this for a really long time because of my history of trauma and people pleasing and codependency, but we cannot have a healthy relationship without setting firm and appropriate boundaries. All right. All right. So lastly here, I'm trying to keep this all kind of like split up so that I don't lose my train of thought because I'm sure as many of you know, especially if you've been listening for a while, I do tend to lose my train of thought very easily. So wrapping up here, I want to lastly talk about people-pleasing, pathological accommodation, and the fearful avoidant attachment. So I identify as someone that is fearfully avoidantly attached. So this is also insecurely attached. Uh, and we know that humans learn to connect to one another through their relationships with their parents, as stated a million times in this episode. So the type of personality that we develop can determine a great deal about our lives. In particular, they play a very significant role in how we maintain relationships. So individuals that develop a fearful avoidant attachment style, we desire closeness very much. Uh, we also seek intimacy from partners, however, we're often unable to achieve this deep connection because our attachment experiences have taught us to be fearful of intimacy. In some cases, this relationship, this personality leads us to even reject close bonds, which can spur a cycle of rocky relationships and extreme emotional highs and lows. So understanding fearful avoidant attachment helps us to understand why we react the way we do. Um, and this, you know, there's secure, insecure, anxiously preoccupied, dismissive avoidance, and fearful avoidance, which occurs in people who responded to a lack of bonding by becoming fearful of future bonds, even though we still often want relationships. In fact, we may actively seek them out, but when the relationship becomes too serious or the partner wants greater intimacy, this person with fearful avoidant attachment may respond by withdrawing um, from the relationship entirely. And I found this to be very true, particularly in my relationship with my boyfriend now. And I found that people with insecure attachments, whether it's avoidant or anxious, often suffer from people pleasing. So some signs may be strong, um, stormy, highly emotional relationships or conflicting feelings around relationships, both wanting a romantic relationship and being fearful of being hurt or left. A tendency to seek out faults in partners or friends so we have an excuse to leave. Resistance to commitment and intimacy, fear or anxiety about being inadequate or withdrawing uh, when things get super intimate. So people with fearful avoidant attachment are prone to have rocky dramatic relationships as I can support. So, you know, they may prefer casual sex, which I don't fall under this camp. Uh, we may be unpredictable. We fear being abandoned or, oh my gosh, being trapped in a relationship. Ugh, that's like my worst fear. This is what makes us isolate between the highs and lows and it can prevent a meaningful relationship long-term. 
it may also make us seem unstable or reactionary to others, understandably. They could also cause us to shut down rapidly. Um, in the normal course of a relationship, partners get to know one another, you know, our fears, our anxieties, likes, dislikes. But when a person with fearful avoidant attachment begins to feel pushed to share emotions and intimate thoughts, we may shut off communication entirely uh, because it's designed to protect ourselves or the fear of being too exposed. So I've learned that in a relationship, or if you're dating someone in this attachment style, it's helpful to encourage openness, but don't push it. Also to be reassuring as a partner, value yourself because people with insecure attachments of all kinds have low self-esteem, which can be troubling in many relationships. So give yourself the space to realize some relationships are worth your effort and some aren't. So find healthier ways to communicate, define your boundaries. Um, by instinct, people with insecure attachment have trouble with boundaries. Um, we have trouble feeling safe in emotional situations. So it could be helpful to try to vocalize, uh, tell your partner what you fear, tell your partner what triggers you to, you know, help you avoid the triggers in the future, but also to speak your truth, understand your instincts and the bottom line is that attachment is a fundamental way that we interact and communicate with one another. And while some people have healthy, strong attachment styles, others may have attachment styles that are less secure, leading to destructive behaviors, avoiding relationships, or fearing intimacy. But the good news is we can work on this to help us build intimate, secure relationships that fulfill us. So we have to start by recognizing what the underlying urge is to make others happy and be positively regarded. Um, because people pleasers, <laughs> a lot of times relationships are hard. And this is part of the reason why I avoid them because I have such a hard time with people pleasing. And somewhere along the way, people pleasers decide everyone else's needs are more important than our own. Uh, we often put themselves or ourselves on the back burner in our own lives and end up feeling dissatisfied and depressed. The underlying urge to make others happy and be positively regarded is natural as we are social beings. And part of that unspoken contract is paying attention to others' feelings. But us who fall into the trap of people-pleasing will tend to dive too deeply in the spirit of being too in tune with others' needs. So you know, this is why I think I avoid relationships because I know that a lot of time I end up losing myself. I look to others for approval, but we have to recognize that we can't make everyone happy and we cannot let others define us. It's okay for people to not like us. Those who often people please end up experiencing a lot of dissatisfaction in our relationships uh, often because we struggle with self-advocacy and have a difficult time speaking up. As pleasers, we strive to, you know, we have to realize, rather, our needs are as important as anyone else's. We have to care about ourselves enough to speak up for what's best for us. And realize that people who deserve to be in your life will benefit from you being open about your needs. So I ask you to affirm your, to yourself right now, I can ask for help and I deserve to get my needs met. I'm not being selfish. I am expressing 
my humaneness. So I think I'm going to end this here, but just no people pleasing because this is getting kind of long and I'm getting off track again. (laughs) It's a Monday. It's a Monday for sure. But just know that people-pleasing habits can be reversed with practice and a change in mindset. Notice when you do it. Often, for me at least, it's an automatic behavior, as if my purpose is to serve the needs of others, even if it hurts me. This is so, so much a result of how we were raised, or it could be socially driven. Um, It's a social construct in which a lot of women are reliant on the approval of others to feel worthy. So when people-pleasing... Um, people recognize the traps that we set for ourselves, it becomes easier to avoid the old habits in favor of new ones. And one of the most self-betraying traps of people-pleasing is the separation from our sense of self. So when someone is subservient to the needs and goals of others, it reinforces the sense that our own needs don't matter. If you believe your own needs aren't important, who will? So pleasers who learn to move beyond these self-sacrificing behaviors, such as pathological accommodation, um, feeling compelled to satisfy others' needs before your own, especially people that have been raised by narcissist or in narcissistically abusive relationships. Um, when we do this, we realize that we can begin to appreciate our own place in the world and the unique benefits of being true to ourselves rather than worrying about everyone else and worrying if other people won't like us or will view us in a negative way when we say no. So a truly iconic aspect of people-pleasing is the fact that others, often people-pleasers want to connect, but we have an overzealous urge to please that gets in the way of genuine connection. So just note that in your mind. Don't shame yourself or guilt yourself or feel worse about yourself because you're struggling with these things. I thank you so much for listening to this episode of Sex and Spirituality. (laughs) 